0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to History in Technicolor uh, with myself and with me, Wolf O'Neill. Uh, Wolf and I have been discussing the etymology of the word phlegm, because unfortunately I have a lot of it, and I'm hoping it won't come into this episode, and it's a obviously a uh, deeply disturbing thing to discuss, so I'd like to formally apologise, nor will I say moist, which is also... A thoroughly unpleasant word. Anyway. I was just going to say move along. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, get on with it. Uh, So, we're here today to talk about a film called Peterloo. Would you like to know, Wolf, why I selected Peterloo?
1: Yes, I've been wondering that. Um, Especially because you were going to pick something else. So, why did you pick Peterloo? And, uh, yeah, what spurred you on right now?
0: Yes, it's true. I was going to pick Death of Stalin, wasn't I? Um... Well, I've been fighting very hard not to watch Peterloo because I was scared of it. Because I thought, look, I'm going to get preached at by for two and a half hours by Mike Lee, who Mm -hmm. I put in the same category as Ken Loach. As kind of, well, if I'm in the right mood, obviously I realise they're a great filmmaker. But you know, Mm -hmm. so I've been resisting it. But then Jane said because we were having a takeaway. We, which we get from the local pub that Jane has to go and drive out to because I'm sort of immunity issues, so I can't. Uh, and she she said that she would quite like to watch Peterloo while we ate this takeaway. Oh, I thought you
1: were going to say a Vindaloo.
0: <laughs> no, that would have been too clever for me. But it would have been great to have a Vindaloo while watching Peterloo. I've got to say. Um, anyway, so that's the very thin reasons why I chose it. Also, I'm doing... Some shed casts on the British Constitution, mm. another product placement opportunity for and Peter Liu has a, an interesting part to play in the development of English radicalism
1: yeah it, well it was very interesting
0: okay, so let me describe briefly what it's about and then I will ask you a couple of questions okay if I might so uh, it's a two thousand and eighteen film probably created to celebrate, if that's the right word, the Peterloo Massacre, which occurred in 1819. It was directed by Mike Lee um, and it is about a massacre that happens at a radical political meeting in Manchester. The film sets the social and economic scene and introduces us to a cast of characters from, and it starts at the end of the Napoleonic War in 1815 and goes through to the, the massacre. The characters include a whole range of society from Prince Regent, who's actually a bit of a hoot, uh, Lord Liverpool, who's the PM and his Home Secretary, to the local magistrates, who are the ones who uh, are deeply involved in the uh, events, and then the radicals and the local society of uh, people. The story moves from a a varied discussion and movement about radicalism. It gives you lots of detail and examples of the different types of radicalism going on to the big showdown, the big meeting at Peterloo. And it shows you how the, the dastardly magistrates who ruthlessly caused the massacre got well, one of those receptions where the critics were much more favourable than were the audience. The Guardian went, you know, five out of five stars on it, because this is a film that could have the Guardian stamp on it. It's got the Guardian written all over it. Sort of an ensemble cast, kind of no big names, but... You know some reasonably well-known English actors. So Rory Kinnear is the the orator. Maxine Peake is one of the characters. Tim McKinnery is the Prince Regent. Yep. And the uh, the dad from Good Vibrations was in it. Was he? Was he not? He could he could well have been. Also the chap from Shameless, I think, was in it. No, it was the chap from the Detectorists, which could be one of the greatest TV series ever made. Um, he's one of the guys with the anyway. So it's kind of, you know, lots of faces, you know, without there being, you know, Brad Pitt or Angelina Jolie, that sort of thing. Cost $18 million to make. Is that a lot or is that a little? I I assume it's not a lot. Right. OK. It's done by Amazon Studios. Mike Lee is a bit of a well-known name. And I had a look into this because, you know, unlike you, I don't know much about films and... His top grossing movie was Secrets and Lies back in 1996, which that film got five Oscar nominations and it made $26 million in today's dollars. So that's sort of a sign of the scale. But when I looked at the list of films, actually, I didn't see any ones that I as a film ignoramus really saw. But he's a famous name, isn't he? Yep. Yep, definitely. So tell us. Wolf about the way Mike Lee makes films because Jane tells me that's a subject of particular interest that he's a bit of a loony. Mm, interesting. Okay. Um, she didn't use the word loony. That's my... One. Okay. I was like, it's an interesting type of
1: filmmaking uh, branded loony. Um, <laughs> just to note because I quickly did my research to double check. Yes. Uh, Carl Johnson who plays Lord Sidmouth in this was the dad in good vibrations, which I thought you would have
0: no. recognized immediately being so I did not like being an uber fan yes i I'm going to go and thrash myself in the morning dew with some hazel twigs
1: it's been a while since you've done that so um glad it is
0: off. I've missed it
1: yeah good um okay, so I have probably much the same general impression of Mike Lee that you do um I've seen. I've seen Vera Drake and I've seen bits and pieces of, I think, Topsy Turvy and another one. And I've seen numerous clips of his work throughout various television shows and um, highlight reels that I've watched. And I'm usually aware of his presence. And around the time this movie was playing, we went to watch a Korean movie at the London Film Festival called Burning. And Mike Lee was sat in the audience a couple of rows over watching it with us uh Ugh. presumably did you go and ask for his autograph no but it, it was quite funny because he, Mike, Mike. he was at the festival because he was doing some talks and he was hosting this film there but he was pretty much ignored in the crowd um just this little old man sat there enjoying himself um <laughs> he has great taste in films we had a wonderful time um i say together but he didn't know who i was um right so a little bit of background for him. So he trained as an actor. Okay. I have to tell you, actually, Wolf, that he speaks very highly of you. Oh, good. Uh, well, I'm pleased. I'm yeah. glad I had an impact uh, from across the room watching a movie. Oh, very much so. Yeah, I
0: can't,
1: I can't shut him up. Um, okay, so he trained as an actor first and did a lot of work in the theatre. And this is kind of pivotal to his like technique that he he carries out now. As a, as a result, his films are very character-focused and they tend to examine, I guess, everyday lives. So I tend to think of them as like kitchen sink movies or British realism. They, You might also describe them as domestic dramas. So they tend to be about central characters uh, like taxi drivers uh, in Happy-Go-Lucky or uh, just uh, the average Joe. Any, usually like the working class as well. Um, and I think predominantly set in London. Um, as like a main hub, although he was from Manchester. So he uses his theatre background to inform his work with his actors. They do extensive rehearsals, lots of improvisation with the characters long before they start shooting the film. So it's a little bit like preparing for a play, and then they can embody those characters completely. A key aspect of his work is to examine his political and personal views, especially kind of regarding the working class. So he'll often look at the class struggle and... I guess in a similar way to Ken Loach, he's examining how society in Britain works and the impact that kind of legislature and everything has upon people's lives. So Vera Drake is about how Vera was carrying out secret abortions uh, during a time when it was illegal uh, and the kind of lives of her and her family during that time and what it was like to be a woman at that at that time. Does that kind of embody what
0: you envisaged he would be? Yes, almost a hundred percent. The thing I was particularly interested in was improvisation. So did he actually use a script? Because I would have thought Jane was kind of suggesting not-ish. There was a lot of improvisation, but I would have thought this is an extremely difficult film to do without a script because there's a lot of speech you find. I got the impression
1: that the script is a very loose structure in the beginning but that they essentially write the script with the actors through the process of creation. Ah, I see. So he will work one-on-one they'll with the characters and they'll develop to being in costume and they'll do this for months. And I think if I'm correct, they will start to figure out who the character is together collaboratively. And then once that actor has found the voice of their character, that's kind of when they begin to put more stuff concretely down into a script format. It's kind of, created together but i would imagine there is some improvisation within within the film okay great i'm guessing in peterloo that especially towards the end like it must be
0: meticulously planned in order to carry out that kind of finale yes gotcha okay so uh, another question for you wolf what were your expectations before you watched the movie I would say the same as you. Pretty
1: negative. I thought it was going to be awards-baity. I thought it was going to be boring. I thought it was going to be kitchen sinky. I thought it was going to be a a chore, to be honest. And I knew the running
0: time was massive. So, in summary, not entirely positive.
1: Yeah, and if I'm right in remembering, apart from that Guardian review, which gave it five stars, my general memory was that it was like a three-star movie. Like the general consensus was like, oh yeah, it's you know, it's fine to good. And I just wasn't convinced I wanted to watch that for three hours. But
0: I will say immediately that I'm so glad I watched it. Very good. Yes, credit gave it, gave it 66%. Audience score was about 40% sort of thing. Okay, very good. And indeed, those are my expectations too. So do you know what the answer is to a happy life, Wolf? I have no expectations correct low aspirations are the answer to a happy life you know all they tell you at school about you have to have high expectations high aspirations it's all tripe okay you heard it here well david i have one question for you before
1: we really dissect the film this is based on a particular scene in the movie but i really thought it might connect with you so apologies if it doesn't i wanted to know how excited you would be if you had been on your travels and knew that when you got home, there would be a hot potato
0: pie waiting for you. Yes, I would be extremely excited. You can't beat a hot potato pie. Good. And that's the
1: level of detail uh, and research that has gone into this movie because that's exactly what the character says in the film. And I was like, I need to know if this is true. And the person to ask is David. (laughs)
0: absolutely excellent but it also serves to show that the diet of the working classes was extremely straightforward and you know you're giving an impression straight away on what life was really like so let's go into the film i'm going to give you a quote from mike here okay so that you can judge the film against mike's objectives okay i want you to leave engaged with your emotions Feelings of sorrow, sympathy and anger. It was iniquitous what happened. Here is democracy in action. Here are genuine hopes that come out of genuine things in people's lives. To be dealt with in this destructive, chaotic, blind, insensitive, self-serving way by people in power. All those things remain resonant as far as I'm concerned. OK. Yeah, I, I think he achieves it. And I think he achieves it, too. But I'm a little bit more qualified than you because I'm a little bit more conservative than you are. So here's how I feel about the film as a whole. There were pros and cons. It's a bit like a curate's egg. Do you know about the curate's egg? Uh, I think so. But explain it again, please. The curate goes to visit the bishop and the bishop gives him breakfast and at breakfast the curate is given an egg which is bad which is a bit foul obviously but nonetheless the curate feels very nervous of this and so he starts to eat it the bishop notices and he says good lord how terrible your egg is bad and the curate says no no it's good in parts okay yes i really know why i told so so the film is so the film is good in parts It isn't rotten, obviously, but it's good in parts. So here are the good things, I thought. The scenery, the costumes, they all do a very good job of evoking the time and the environment. Absolutely fantastic for that. As good as Master and Commander. It does a great job of being historical. He's obviously worked really hard about that, and we'll come back to that. And it has some nuance in it. So that quote gives you the idea this is going to be a Ken Loach crusading movie, and it is in a way. But it also shows you the nuance. So it shows complexity of opinion among the working class. Some of them don't want to do all this marching. They think it's a rubbish idea. There are some people who want to carry weapons and cause, fire. you know, be violent. Henry Hunt, the orator, the big radical orator, is not described entirely positively. The mass scene The denouement at the end is very good indeed and very well organised. It goes on for quite a while, but you don't lose interest. He makes a great effort to develop a smorgasbord of well-developed character with Joseph as a figure to follow all the way through. Joseph is actually a fictional figure as a a sort of way to give you a connection and a final pathos when Joseph, at the end of the movie, uh, when Joseph does what Joseph does. Um, And he works very well, very nicely. I think Joseph, as a very poor working class figure who's destroyed by the Napoleonic Wars, basically, he sort of loses his mind almost. He works as the fantastic contrast with a very posh general, John Bing, who lives a life of luxury after the war. So those are the pluses, I thought. The cons were... There were way too many speeches of way too much length. I mean, just give me the general idea, Mike, really. You can see him trying to build the characters and show a variety of opinion, but there's just far too many characters, I think, to really get involved with any one of them in any great depth. And that has an impact, had an impact on me on the, the amount of emotion I invested in it. So there's almost too much history. Can there be such a thing, Wolf? Can there be too much history? Um, I guess in this case, yes. Well, yeah, because generally, obviously, there can't. But in this, there is t- too much. The faction that wanted to arm everybody, for example, arrives but and disappears. And you kind of think, well, you could have cut all that, to be honest. Didn't really need it to make a story. Mm-hmm. Then the sort of 50-50 things I'm even on, uh, it's a bit stodgy, but there is a little bit of humour. So, for example... Henry Hunt, the the orator, the posh orator, slightly posh orator from London, um, has to be housed in one of the working class folks' house. And he goes up to his room and he says, bring me a light repast. Uh, The maid servant looks at him, you know, aghast because she's, you know, she doesn't know what he means. She says, she whispers, what does he want? So it was just, quite nice and the the prince regent is delightfully over the top in a very tim mckinnery way
1: yeah there's definitely quite a lot of comedy and it's quite astute as well when the potato gets thrown through his carriage window yeah and then you see the story progressing from it's a potato then it's possibly shot from an air rifle then it's potentially big rocks and you can see it kind of the stone rolling downhill and people exaggerating
0: yes, the story, yes, and using it as a as something to prevent sympathy with the protesters.
1: And then there's that bit later when they're the, all the other characters are meeting and they're having a chat, and they go, "Did you see the news?" And they go, "Yeah, we heard about the attack on Prince Regent." And they laugh and they joke, "It was probably a potato." Um, them assuming that he's exaggerating whatever it is, and obviously we are the only ones who know. If i have read it correctly, yeah, we're the only ones who know that they've actually hit the nail on the head and it was a potato.
0: Yes, it makes it clear that this was a driven plot to discredit the radicals. But actually, there is a... Well, maybe this is history, but there is a tradition also that the massacre was engineered by the government in order for them to be able to have a crackdown. And that theory, I don't think, really comes up in the movie. So... You know, Mike's not playing fast and loose with the truth, I think, in his desire to raise people's fury. I think there was one more 50-50 I had, which is that he's resolutely without melodrama. It's lots of drama, but it's resolutely without melodrama. Mm. Do you know, I would generally think that's a good thing, but mm, in this case, maybe he could have done with a bit more melodrama. Anyway, those are my feelings of of the... Overall, I was very pleased. I had seen it, and it didn't live down to my low expectations. What about you, Wolf?
1: Uh, yeah, I quite enjoyed it. I, it's it's definitely too long, and it's not exactly subtle. But I'm not particularly against what it's doing. And I also thought it was weird. I don't know. Just, I just I couldn't believe the coincidence that you had selected it right now. We almost watched this movie when it came out in 2018, and I feel like watching the film then would have been one thing, but watching it now, after the kind of year we've had and the events that are happening while we're recording and everything, it feels so much more
0: prescient than it did when it was being made and released only a few years ago. Obviously, I'd like to tell you that it was because of my political nous, um, but in actual fact, it was to do with fish and chips.
1: Yes, good. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I really enjoyed the film. I thought it was inspiring. I thought it was eye opening and thought provoking. I honestly don't know how you could watch this film and not be a little bit mad at the world, if not incredibly incensed. I really liked that it opens at Waterloo. Now, I know it's a bit obvious to go from Waterloo to Peterloo, but that being said, I thought it was a really useful piece of contextual history. And for one that has such, um, that is so iconic to our national history it's I uh, you it, you it conveys so much so quickly by putting Joseph there and then showing him walking home um, especially when um, juxtaposed against everything that's going on in the houses of parliament and all the money they want to bestow upon Wellington and all the pride they have about this event when we know that it's kind of it's an event that ignores the suffering of so many yeah. Um, but is hailed as this great victory.
0: I mean, much like much of the rest of the film, it, it is a bit hammering over your head so with a big hammer saying, have you got the point? But nonetheless, it is yes. neat, you know, the horror of Waterloo for the working classes by the people who actually fought in it juxtaposed with the, with the vast benefits bestowed upon the, the few at the top gives you a very nice inequality perspective
1: yeah and it's it's definitely a perspective that i had not really considered about waterloo previously not in any incarnation i had watched that's not to say that films don't present war as horror but it was it was an interesting view considering the kind of joy that is experienced back in england afterwards and i also quite liked physically watching him walk from waterloo all the way back to manchester mm. uh it was a nice little narrative device
0: to, to kind of bring us into the setting that we're going to stay in. although i did not did note one thing which is that he didn't go through loughborough and i thought that was a big uh, failure of the film they really should have shown him going through you know the heart of england well let's mark it down okay let's mark it down sorry carry on. you were, you were saying something sensible uh no no that was a very that was a very valid point
1: <laughs> mike lee you suck <laughs> what what are some other things I noticed? We argue that it's probably too long and there's too much detail put into it. But I think there are times when that level of detail can be beneficial. For example, I thought that the sections with the women's movements that were in support of the men at first I thought, oh, it's just it's kind of repeating stuff. But it has a payoff in the end. And I thought that it adds more complexity to the story, especially when you see them being jeered at by other bystanders, some of which are women, for not fulfilling their roles as mothers and wives. And then when you see horror inflicted upon them during the massacre, it was just wider consideration of of everyone in society at that time, not this narrow focus on just a few individuals. It really encompassed the entire community. What did you think of the magistrates? I was thinking about when we did the Charge of the Light Brigade, and we often discussed this lions led by donkeys approach. And I really felt that this movie was like sharks led by wolves led by snakes, and it was really going all in on every single one of them is the most evil they could possibly be. Now they are they're caricatures, and they're so clearly caricatures. Everything elevate you know everything turned up to eleven. Uh, evil turned up to eleven. That's what it, that's what it feels like. But that being said, I do appreciate that they have conflict with each other. They have different viewpoints to each other. They're all evil, but they do have different ways that they want to. They ways that they see the world. And I think that is a testament to this film that it's able to make every single character in this giant collection of performers individual and. You do kind of see the different ways that the system and the government and the law would crack down on these people, and
0: the kind of different pressures that that these people are under. Essentially, I was expecting a hideous caricature. I don't think it was quite as hideous actually as we might think. I mean, it was pretty hideous, but I actually, when you look at the characters and how they behave, you know, there's there's nothing. He's not picking it up that much. There was one bit, I think, where the court scene, which is very, I think, a very good idea of letting letting you know where power lies in society. I don't think you needed to have the magistrate laughing and mocking the person in the dock. Spittle flying from his mouth. Yes. So I think there's probably a bit of bigging it up going on there. But nonetheless, what... The film point the film makes is this is where power is at a local level in society in eighteen nineteen.
1: When I say they're caricatured, I don't necessarily mean it as a as a complete negative. I just think that Mm -hmm. the movie doesn't want to muddy the waters. Generally, the movie is like we should not be on the side of any of these characters at all, and we should know that they have they don't consider the working class, to have any worth or value as human beings. And it doesn't hide from that viewpoint. And then the end of the movie is the Prince Regent saying, we should cheer them on for the massacre they've carried out, they've done their country proud, and they did what we told them we needed them to do. So we've watched these evil characters commit evil acts and atrocities, and then in the end they're rewarded for those atrocities. So
0: one final question. I have also said that I'm not sure I felt particular personal engagement in any individuals because of the breadth of the characters? What what did you feel? Did you feel engaged with those people as individuals? Did you think they were well-drawn?
1: So I'm a bit torn on this because the ending definitely has impact upon me and it has impact because I recognise so many of the people in the crowd. So it has achieved something in that and I definitely care about a lot of them but that being said, I don't really have a, a strong connection or affinity to any of the characters, not a single character, because there are so many, and they all have such small moments. Hmm. I guess that the in, – especially in contrast to the magistrates, I think that the, the working class and the people of the rally and the people of Manchester – They're slightly more complex as individuals. Like you get to see, as you've already said, all their different views on what they should be doing and how they should fight back and what action should they be taking and if they should be taking it. And they're having all these discussions amongst themselves. And we get to see their interactions with neighbours and friends, with their family. I don't know, we get a real insight into their lives and that that side of their life is actually genuinely developed. Um, Like the scenes with the shopping and selling of the eggs... Cause they need to make pies and i enjoyed seeing the detail in the everyday life like how they how they live at this time i thought that was really good and i guess what i would say is that yes they aren't particularly developed but i don't want to do them a disservice because i do think that it it kind of works within the context of the film and it's maybe the right strategy to go broad than to focus on just a few people
0: okay so let's move on to the history then i'm going to read you a, a poem darling Okay, I can reassure you it's not a love poem, although I've always assumed that that was the only purpose for poetry because, you know, poetry is by and large incomprehensible. But here is a poem which I think is quite comprehensible. You ready? Uh, Are you in hearing poetry mode? Always. Excellent. An old, mad, blind, despised and dying king. Princes... The dregs of their dull race who flow through public scorn, mud from a muddy spring. Rulers who neither see nor feel nor know, but leech-like to their fainting country cling. Till they drop blind in blood without a blow. A people starved and stabbed in the untilled field. An army whom liberticide and prey makes a two-edged sword to all who wield golden and sanguine laws which tempt and slay religion christless godless a book sealed a senate times worst statue unrepealed our graves from which a glorious phantom may burst to illuminate our tempestuous day who wrote that poem wolf
1: Um, Is it written about either the Peterloo Massacre or just
0: this period of time in general? I'm assuming so. It's written in the same year, actually. I think there's another poem written after it. Mm. It was written by Mary's husband. Uh, Which which Mary? Mary Shelley. Oh, Percy Shelley. Percy, that's right. That is a flavour of the radical's view. And I think he writes a poem called The Mask of Anarchy, actually, which is specifically about... The Peterloo massacre hmm. I think the one failing of the film and I don't know how we could put it right or when we think about the film we need to think about it, is that this is a period of blind panic by the ruling classes so what has happened with industrialization which we always talk about industrialization as the impact it has on the working classes because their lives are thrown up into the air, and they find themselves in a completely different situation. But you need to think also a little bit about the oppressors. I know we don't like them talk, talking, thinking sympathetically about oppressors, but nonetheless, in order to understand their situation, you need to understand that many of the bonds that have held society together have broken. England has been moving for some time from a feudal society to a capitalist one, and many of the old bonds have broken. And a population has grown. Uh, poverty has grown to some degree, as well as wealth. Great inequality has, is, is, has grown. Well, I don't know if it's grown, but inequality is very visible. People are not set in their parishes they used to be. There are these very big towns all over the place. We've just had the Napoleonic War and we now have a terrible recession the French resolution has just happened with the terror associated with that. So the ruling classes are in ferment, not just about the Napoleonic Wars, but also about all this, the vagrancy that goes on. So we're in a period of history where the common law that we love to talk about as being a great achievement of English civilization actually at this time you've got something called the bloody code there are more ways of being killed by the law than any other law in Europe plus you've got all the transportation going on so you have to kind of understand that context that those people those magistrates feel under incredible panic and pressure so Lord Liverpool is judged in various ways Um, so he's described by Disraeli uh, as the arch mediocrity, which is a lovely insult. She's very Disraeli. But a, a historian's view, a historian called Norman's Gash, his view about the English terror, as it's called, the security measures taken by Lord Liverpool at this time, are this. The security measures taken from between 18 and 17 and 18 20 were recognized as relatively moderate response by contemporary standards to a difficult situation. And Liverpool's desire to encroach as little as possible on constitutional liberties received belated acknowledgments. So, what I thought you needed to understand from the movie a little bit, but I don't know how the movie could do it, is this sense of national panic and the sense of breaking social bonds. So what you're left with, until radicalism begins to change people's minds and hearts and you go through a process in the 19th century, people have feudal attitudes. So in the 16th century, the law, and indeed earlier, uh, the law was that if you were a vagrant in the wrong parish, without permission, you could be whipped and put in the stocks. If you committed adultery, you... Could be whipped. You could be made to stand at the front of the church and with your candle, uh, in order to confess to the your shame and to the rest of the congregation. So when we look at these events, it's quite difficult to think of it with the mindset of somebody of the time and where they've come from. So that's the only thing that you could, that it's very difficult in a film like this, impossible probably, to get your mind round the panic and pressure that people are under. But in terms of not exaggerating and how hideous those judges really were, here is a quote, an actual quote from one of the judges. In the first trial of those who attended the meeting at St. Peter's Field, the judge commented, I, believed you, I believe you are a downright blackguard reformer. Some of you reformers ought to be hanged. Some of you are sure to be hanged. The rope is already round your necks. So that is the kind of attitude that you have at the time. You know, the it might at least not being it up. That is how society works. And there is enormous the breaking of these bonds during the process of industrialization meant that that personal relationship and that two way contract you had with an individual who might have very few rights anyway, as it happens. But you knew, you lived in the same parish with, you knew personally, those bonds are breaking down and all getting, and there's no structure to replace it to help get through situations like this. It's quite interesting. I'm rabbiting on and I'll stop in a moment. But it's quite interesting also in the film that you see the reading of the Riot Act. Yeah. And quite often there's a lot of legalistic discussion. And in doing this series about the British Constitution, I'm constantly reminded that what's written on paper about you know British liberties. Is all very well, but it kind of rather falls down in the operation of the law. So, you know, if you're a big, powerful uh, duke, the law is not going to treat, treat you in the same way as if you're, you know, radical Bamford, as it were. And in fact, there's an interesting story about Samuel Bamford that he goes in 1820, the following years, he, he walks out to London. You know, he stops at Woburn in Hertfordshire. And because he's walked and because he's obviously not one of the high they won't serve him breakfast because he's just walked in. He's not you know, a member of Rich Enough to Own a Horse. That's the kind of society we're talking about. So great, these liberties, the, all these laws that they keep talking about and thinking, how do we cope with this? And you've got to read the riot act and you've got to remember this bit of law. It's all very well. But the operation of it is unequal. So I thought, historically, it's very thorough. Kind of have to know, I think, properly understand what's in the minds of the magistrates. You need to understand more background than you could possibly put in a film. But the film itself, I don't think, goes wildly far in caricature. Mm, interesting. I also think the film,
1: well, at least the film seemed to me pretty good at conveying so much of the history that it needed me to know. So they understood everything that they were fighting for, and thus everything that was in place currently. And it it was fast. I didn't know a lot of this, so I did think it was interesting to learn this period of time and discover, I guess, how we get to be where we are now. And obviously, if you didn't know from this film, Mike Lee is a big Labour supporter and he was one of the No. He had he had uh, he
0: signed the the confidence had Jeremy him down. Robin. I had him down in the Brexit party. Ah, okay. I had him as a Farage lover.
1: (laughs) Well, anyway, I was just going to say that he had signed that uh, document that went around a year or two ago in support of Jeremy Corbyn. And I I often see him joining up with various um, businesses that are having, like, labour disputes or union problems. He'll often be on the side of the workers versus the employers, and he'll he'll wade in and uh, give his support.
0: I mean, we're going to talk about, you know, the relevance of what, the film and its relevance to today and without getting into any of you know, the individual party politics and all the rest of it. I would say that there are a couple of things either way. From my point of view, you might disagree. From my point of view, it's very important to us to understand just how hard it is to change society in the fundamental way that society changed during the 19th century and indeed has changed to the 20th century, that the things that we take as standard now and get a bit cross about, we've been through a process that has cost blood. And the other thing, the corollary of that is to value what we have. And this is the, the, the conservative in me speaking. There's so much outrage all the time these days fine and probably very well meant and very well deserved but look at where we've come and there's a generational thing as regards this i think so much cultural change i'm preaching here i'm sorry much cultural change happens not because of also because of what necessarily just because of what people do although that's important that's the most important thing but also it happens you have to wait generationally Cultural change takes a long time. So the Reformation, we think of the Reformation as being, you know, Henry the Eighth. And there's kind of one of you which says, right, in 1533, we're a Catholic country. In 1534, we're a Protestant country. It's completely wrong. It's not really until the generations have changed that England is a Protestant country by the death of Elizabeth I at the end of the at the beginning of the 17th century change cultural change of this can can take generations anyway i've gone on long enough i think it does have great resonance with with now but in more ways than one for me it's not just about an outrage thing my god aren't the ruling classes hideous it's also about the cost of liberty what it takes and how important it is to hold on to it
1: yeah i thought it was it was very inspiring I don't know. It was just, it was, I was deeply fascinated. And I kept thinking about how, obviously we're always talking about proportional representation. So I can see you on Twitter on the same day, arguing for more proportional representation and then watching this movie and seeing these people arguing to have any type of a voice at all, um, Mm. you know, 200 years ago. And the women in the film, there's no consideration even amongst them that they will have a chance to vote because that's absurd to even yeah. consider since the men don't have a vote and then the the people you vote for don't even represent your area and have no connection with you, so you have literally no say in the government. Just to see even how far we've come since then to now is staggering. But I guess what's always interesting is how, I guess we'll always be in this state of fighting for something more. So it yeah. feels really relevant, even though what they're, they're asking for is something we currently have the urgency and the kind of pressure they're under is something that does connect to us uh, at this moment. I think so too. Well, okay, so I had a couple of
0: questions. First of all, had you ever heard of the Peterloo Massacre before this movie? Yes, I did it at school. I'm constantly okay. going onto Twitter things, actually, and saying, oh, I did this at school, um, where people are getting outraged about, we don't do enough Irish history, or we don't do enough black history, or we don't enough slavery and all the rest of it. I'm saying, oh, interesting. So I'm beginning to think either people have got a point, an axe to grind, and they, you know, they're just making a, a point which isn't made in truth. Or I had this fantastic history education at a grammar school, which, you know, it was all gone wrong. Okay. And
1: then I guess um Yeah, well, I had never heard of it. So it wasn't so much. Something's regular. gone wrong with
0: our education then.
1: Well, no, I think it's just always changing. We just to study different things. But I did notice from kind of a little bit of loose reading that this event wasn't really memorialized. I think it was one blue plaque and it was a blue plaque that had questionable phrasing that didn't really suggest that the people of Manchester were brutally slain, but that there was some conflict of which it was like a two sides, everyone's kind of bad thing. And I definitely got the impression that it wasn't really memorialized until very recently, I guess in conjunction with the film. So there is a point to make that, yes, you studied it at school, but it is an event that most people aren't aware of. And I do wonder if part of that is because it takes place up north. I do think we have a bit of a problem, or not necessarily a problem, but at least in the south, maybe I have less understanding of the issues that have taken place now or in the past uh, in other parts of the country.
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting. I haven't considered that.
1: Do you think you studied it because you lived further north when you were at school? (laughs)
0: Well, you know, Loughborough is the crowning achievement of English civilization, as you know. So maybe I don't know, but it is a inter- very interesting point. I don't know what to comment. On. I mean, I, I agree that we're far too you know, great regional differences, and that's a real problem for England. Whether
1: it strikes into history, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think I just think it's interesting, interesting that, question. that that uh, Jane commented that. Once she have been to Manchester, she didn't know where this took place. Couldn't didn't know where the square was. I've been to Manchester; I'd never even heard of it. Presumably, I guess maybe I don't know. It could be in a different part of the city because it's so developed. But you could argue that something like this needs to be remembered a bit more, especially as I read it's one of the most influential radical moments in British history that there's ever been. I mean,
0: that's one of the things about the film which I don't think, or, or the verbiage after it, that necessarily because. Mm, doesn't really go anywhere um or it takes a long time for it to do and maybe if there's a story about that is it is about the evolutionary change of english and british politics funnily enough the following year there's what they in scotland in glasgow there's what they call the radical war i mean that's talking it up a bit but it's a very similar time in fact wider protest than the peterloo but after that things go back to normal. you get people like Robert Peel who start unwinding the bloody code and the franchises extended in 1832 and 1867. So Britain deals with these problems in a very British way of bit by bit improving things, giving just enough in order for people to be able to live with it um, rather than explode. It does feed into the chartism movement uh of the mid 19th century so a lot of the demands of peterloo of the peterloo radicals are the same as the chartist appeals but it isn't so well known i think because it doesn't it's not like the french revolution you know Mm. it doesn't change things because they just get killed and
1: crushed and suppressed
0: yes but crudely but also society does respond Mm you know but in but in relatively small granular ways you know the great reform act follows 15 years later or whatever so slowly government do respond to this does have this protest is a pebble that's cast in the water which does impact other things but it's just that it's not as dramatic as something like the french revolution i mean there's another there's one in i think in london's of st george's field uh, about 40 50 years before very similar nature that john wilkes oriented thing i bet you have you ever heard of the massacre of st george's field no there you go georgia luke so i absolutely agree with you there ought to be much stronger teaching of these well it's social and economic history as well as good old traditional
1: well is this thinking now is this particularly brutal compared to some of these other instances
0: you mentioned in in britain it's quite similar to St. George's. Okay. Right. There's, I mean, the thing is, unfortunately, there's not, it's not a vast amount of it in British history. And the kind of massacres we have within Britain, rather than the ones that we export, are, you know, relatively mild by European standards. Um, For example, in France, in the 16th century, 10,000 Waldensians are, are brutally murdered, mm. you know. In our our religious pogrom was Mary who burnt 284 people uh, in the Netherlands. 1200 people were executed for being Protestants in one year. So uh, there's kind of always been this this myth, which isn't entirely a myth. I hate to say it, that British politics more evolutionary and less than than other countries. And it has some sort of truth.
1: Uh, one question for you. It's maybe a two parter. Did this film radicalise you in any way? And how effective did you find the actual
0: massacre at the end? I don't know whether it radicalised me, but it confirmed me in my view that we need much more social and economic history and we need to really value these moments in our history. Sorry, what was the second question? How effective do you think that the presentation of the massacre was in the film? I thought it was quite good, but I didn't, I don't think I felt as outraged as you did. Um, I thought it was, to be honest, I thought it was quite functional that it was still trying to show me what happened in some detail rather than trying to pull on my heartstrings, but maybe I'm just a deeply insensitive person. And I think that might be the case.
1: Um, I guess, I think this is where the effectiveness of what's come before um, does kind of reveal itself. Um, it is quite functional, but the fact that I still have the same response that I do lets me know that I must have cared about the characters they had set up. Yeah. Definitely, I think it was Joseph as you were saying,
0: that, that is a shocking moment because we followed Joseph throughout his journey. Yes, I think that's been well set up as the big moment that this person who's given his life for his country and has been destroyed by that is now just savagely you know, sabred in uh, in St Peter's Field.
1: Yeah, and most of your main characters, like we, like we'll, well, they'll give us that nice little chat in the crowd where Maxine Peak shares some bread with those people who've travelled from Wigan. They're so um, determined and excited to come to this rally because they're so desperate for change that they will walk yeah. all the way from Wigan to Manchester, and then the result is, you know,
0: brutally slain. Um, Absolutely, and and their expectation that change can and will happen, and, and which is a thread, as I say, throughout English radical history, um, of ordinary people believing that if they can just say this stuff, people will, of course, you know, their their lords and masters, their social superiors, will of course see the good goodness in it, and will do the right thing. And only to be disappointed. Anyway, we need to finish. Okay, well, first of all, quality of the film, what would you give it out of out of 10? I went for a six, but yeah, no, I'll stick with six. Okay, I'd be more generous. I think I'd say seven because, you know, I was engaged. I didn't get bored, despite the worthiness. I appreciate worthy but dull as, you know. Yeah, uh, and I do have to admit, I
1: also, I wasn't really, I knew it was long, but I, I guess I wasn't really bored. And I did get through the, the film, mostly intact
0: okay and then historical accuracy what should we give it for that so i was going to guess it's an eight okay and well, i went for nine okay but you know eight nine what you know whatever. no no go with the nine. okay go with the nine uh my summary of the whole thing was is this was a film i wish i'd had if i was a teacher um, a history teacher this would be a fantastic thing to show people to sh- give them a flavour of what radicalism was like in the in the 19th century Brilliant OK thank you very much for listening everybody do come across to the Facebook site and voice your opinion and vote and all the rest of it and just have a good time This film is on Amazon Prime Yeah should be able to get it fa- fairly easily OK thank you for coming everybody goodbye from me
1: and goodbye from me all right, bye all. Are you not
0: entertained? Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag? Say hello to Quince.